You're listening to the Fashion Ambition Podcast, and I'm your host, Natalie Robin. The Fashion Ambition Podcast is all about bringing you the tools and strategies to start and scale your business or career in fashion through conversations with industry experts who have been there and done that. Whether you're a startup founder, a new fashion graduate, or a soon-to-be graduate like me, or you just know that a career in fashion is your calling, we have an episode to help you launch. Make sure to keep up with new episodes by following the podcast at The Fashion Ambition on Instagram, where I update you on new episodes every week. You can also find my blog on Instagram at nomadandmode and online at nomadandmode.net, where I write all about fashion and travel. You can find all the links to connect with me in the show notes. So with that, let's get into the episode. Hi, this is Natalie and welcome to the Fashion Ambition Podcast. I am really looking forward to talking with today's guest, Emily Salisbury-DeVoe, who is the founder of Edmonton-based women's wear brand, Emmy DeVoe. So along with designing gorgeous pieces, the brand is taking a really innovative approach to design, production, and prolonging their product's lifespan through their funded and buyback programs. So today we're going to be talking all about these programs, the inspiration behind the brand, and how to start thinking about breaking the mold as a business owner. So welcome to the podcast, Emily, and thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. Looking forward to it. My pleasure. So I really wanted to start out with um, getting to know a little bit about your own career trajectory. So how you kind of came to um, starting Emmy DeVoe and what the inspiration behind that was. Yeah, I think you know, it's a really long story and I'll try to keep it concise because I am almost 38 years old this year. And so that really creates like a 22 year long career, um, of getting to this point. And that involved a number of activities. I've always worked for myself. I've always been self-employed. I would say I'm a, I'm a born entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. It runs in my blood (laughs) and (laughs) in my veins, in my soul. And when I was uh, in high school, I participated a lot in the fashion studies program. I competed in pattern drafting and all sorts of things. Oh, wow. But there was a couple of things I recognized about myself. I didn't really, I wasn't a great drawer, so I wasn't great at uh, the sketches and things like that. And I really hated to sew. I didn't have good patience when it came to sewing a garment or really uh working on the details I would like I learned very young that I was the kind of person where I like to figure something out and move on so once I figured out how to pattern draft and do that well I was like checked out of it I was like what's next right so I was going to go to fashion design school um I was offered a full scholarship at a very young age and I decided not to and I Um, from the advice of my own father, when I was 16, started a consulting company uh, in the retail space, so retail and real estate. And I started very, very small by doing things like I would map out the traffic in a clothing store in a a shopping mall near me. And then I would go and sell that report, which was like not impressive at the time because we didn't have Google and all that. Mm -hmm. Uh, It wasn't impressive. (laughs) But uh, I would go and sell that for like two or three hundred dollars. And, 
even though I'm quite an introverted person, I've always had incredible conviction when it comes to um, my business and my capabilities. And so I was pretty fearless. I would just go learn things, go read books, implement it, sell it. And then eventually in my early 20s, I was consulting for shopping centers and retailers, larger retailers. And then eventually that led to getting hired on as the executive director of the School of Retailing at the business school in uh, at the University of Alberta when okay. I was 30. So I was given an academic role, even though I never went to school. And uh, I spent five years there. And then I said, eh, I want to have a, a fashion brand by the time I'm 35. So I left, took about $80,000 of my own money and put it into a clothing brand, which oh, wow. I had no idea how to do. <laughs> Still learning. Yeah, for sure. Sometimes you just kind of have to jump into it for sure you just jump in and you know you just have to like really I spent a lot of my years figuring out what I like and don't like we do a lot of that work here with our staff you have to figure out what you like and don't like and build build your life inward rather than looking at what you everybody else has and using that external you know social resources to kind of figure out who you want to be it's like well who are you already and then right. just, <laughs> who are you already? And then just like build on that. And For so sure. that's, that's how I've been able to uh, do all the things I've been able to do. Yeah, that's a really cool story. And I think um, to kind of build on that, your point about like being introverted, but also just being really like having a lot of conviction in your own abilities and just knowing yourself, I think is so important because I think a lot of the time we're told that, you know, if we're not the most outgoing person, we, we can't, you know, that, that might not be the personality for what we want to do, but that's not, not necessarily the case. So yeah, yeah, for sure. No, I think being introverted can be great in business because you spend a lot of your time observing before you take action. So I find an environment of, um, all of us are introverts here actually. And I find it fosters an environment where we really think about things before we present ideas. We like think things through more uh, before we, because we don't want to waste our time or each other's time. And so it's fostered a really great working environment where we all work so well independently, which we are now, like we have a huge building and they're all off in different areas of the building. And, uh, which has been great. 7,000 square feet is great for social distancing because <laughs> we never, in fact, yeah. we, use, we use Clubhouse to chat with each other. Oh, really? Know. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> in different rooms because we're on different uh, floors too. So mm-hmm. I would say being introverted has been an asset, but it also um, makes things really difficult. It can make a career in uh, service really difficult because you have to know what's going to take your energy. I call it the debit and credit system. Mm-hmm. What's going to take your energy and what's going to give you energy. And in anytime you're running your own business, there's way more energy out than energy in. And so you have to be so careful about how you build your day. But I never could have discovered that until I spent as many years as I did figuring out who I was. Right. By design. Yeah. Right. For sure. Yeah. That self-awareness um, is so, so important. Um so the next question that I really wanted to ask was how, because, because I think this is such a, a different approach as we kind of touched on earlier, but um, the fund it and the buyback programs. So how did those come about? How did you, um, 
Yeah. How did you start thinking of minimizing waste in production in that way? Yeah, I would like to say that, you know, there's a lot of brands that that start and they've got these um, sustainability angles where they've got, you know, you buy one pair of shoes, we'll donate a pair of shoes to this. And they really start their inception with that angle. Uh, we started knowing the things that we wanted to achieve, including fund it and buy back. But we knew that we would only be able to achieve those if we could achieve a certain level of quality with our product. That's really where it starts. So the reason we're successfully able to do fund it and buy back and scale it is because of the quality of our product. And so it's not so much, and the quality of our designs as well. And based on how I design and how I know that product's going to serve a lot of people. So fund it and buy back is not a sustainability initiative. It's a values-based structure that we have implemented into the business based on my personal values as a fashion designer. So I believe I can make the best blazer on the market and I'm willing to, to take a risk to prove it. So I'll make that blazer, I'll design it, and then we'll put it up on Fund It and we have to sell a certain amount. And I think it's a very, it, it comes back to that word conviction. It's like, I know this is a great blazer. I've never had anybody tell me it's not. Right. And I know that we can keep carrying this product and a blazer really never goes out of style. You compare it with leggings, jeans, whatever. And so from a product design standpoint is where we focused our number one attention. So finding incredible stretch fabrics, looking at the construction of every single item that we make. Sometimes it takes eight months to perfect an item like the pencil pants, but we have no returns on the pencil pants. Right. And finding a pair of pants that from extra, extra small to extra, extra large and not having returns, that is a design value. So my strongest value out there for sure is how I design products. And then fund it just isn't like it just affirms that I'm making the right choices as a designer because our customers then fund that product for us, which means we have no inventory liability as a brand, which means we have no inventory debt. So once it lands here, it's paid for. Um, and we're just profitable after that point. And then with buyback, it was really, again, having that conviction that after two years of wearing that blazer, the Carlisle blazer, it was still in brand new condition. I still haven't had to dry clean it. Uh, when you choose a good lining uh, in your jackets, it really is that's what sets like the tone for the, you know, how fast it's going to wear down, um, how much it's going to stink if you if you don't wash it. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, so like the cheaper the the liner, the worse the jacket's going to be and it won't last you because that's the protection against the shell. So you can use a ton of stretch fabrics that without having a, a liner would stretch out of shape, right? and they wouldn't last. So we line everything. Our size charts are consistent. We work tirelessly. I work. I wouldn't, you shouldn't say we, I'm the only one that designs the clothes. <laughs> I work tirelessly to make sure that there's consistency among the product design, the product fit, uh, the versatility of each product. Um, and you know, the fact that it's not trendy, it's not seasonal. It's very classic. And so when we buy back those items, it's that full conviction that I know I'm getting it back in pretty much new quality 
just that person may have not reached for it. And if they have worn it for two years, I have one dress that I wore for two years. My whole thought process was, I love this dress. I would love to just have a fresh one. You Mm -hmm. know, I just would like a fresh one. I've worn it so much. And so if I could give it back to a buyback program, I got my money's worth out of it time over and time over, get my money back and then just put that towards a new one. I'm happy. The brand can still sell that for 60% off. Um, even though it's worn, cause it's still in great condition. <laughs> like it still has like a decade of life ahead of it, but me, I just maybe want a new one. So buyback has been incredibly innovative and it's a proven, like we've been doing it for less than a year and it's a proven concept. So I'm really hoping that brands start to implement it. But the difference is, is that any brand out there right now that has a buyback program is doing it on the basis of recycling right? So they're, they're planning to get that product back from you, keep them in their ecosystem as a customer, but then they're just going to recycle that product. And so you don't really know as a consumer where that goes. Whereas ours is a buyback program over and over and over again. So there's no limit to how many times that buyback product can come back to us. It just keeps getting recycled into our system. And then eventually if it needs to be recycled, it gets turned into scrunchies. So we have like bins of fabric that barely anything in there mm-hmm. things that we'll eventually just turn into other products headbands scrunchies things like that we just don't have enough of it to do it right now so right yeah so yeah I think that's so so smart um so you kind of touched on uh other businesses doing buyback programs but doing it like on the basis of just recycling um so I was wondering this is kind of an off the cuff question but is it ever something that you've considered to kind of integrate or show other new startups how to integrate those programs? Um, Yes and no. I think one of the challenges, and I'll say, I say this quite a bit, is that the fashion industry has a design problem. We have a product design problem. We have a fabric choice problem. And when you consider that as the fact Uh, We have a ton of new startups that come out and make hoodie brands, t-shirt brands, incredibly, incredibly wasteful. There are just not a lot of people or startups in the same space as me when it comes to uh, the size of the collection, the breadth and depth of our collection that we have and that we will have. Um, You know, most brands like ours are like Kit and Ace where they have multiple designers Mm-hmm. and multiple teams. Whereas here we're a team, a very small team. I'm the only designer. We design very smart compared to, I think, a lot of brands. Mm-hmm. Uh, we take a lot of shortcuts, you know, to make sure we can meet our volumes and stuff. So I think I would love to be an example, but nobody will be able to achieve this type of programs, these types of programs without good products. You just right. want, like, and it start, that's what I'm, that's what I'm hoping to influence, not the fund it and buyback aspect. I'm hoping to level up, uh, startups and say, you actually need to make products that sell. You need to make products that people can have for a long time. And that really is the future. That's really mm-hmm. all of the trends are telling us, not that I follow a lot of trends, but, um, they're telling us that like people are really paring down what they're buying. They're really looking for good quality they want things that make them feel good and people are getting a little bit a lot tighter with how they spend their money right yeah everyone is looking or it seems like there's a big um shift towards wanting 
long lasting, high quality pieces. And people are kind of getting tired of the fast fashion, you know, buy thing, buy something once and then it's done. Um, yeah. So what would you say to somebody um, who's maybe just starting a new company and a new clothing company and they, or how, what advice would you give to somebody who's trying to think differently, kind of like break that mold in terms of you don't have to um, produce this way. You don't have to manufacture this way. And what kind of, what advice would you give them to start really thinking about that design element as one of like the most important? Um, yeah, I think I have, I definitely have an advantage over um, young, young startups because I spent 20 years uh, figuring out what sells and what doesn't sell. Right. So whether it was working with department stores or working with even local brands or shopping centers, I knew firsthand what I did. I had a personal shopping program. I helped over 800 women and I I know what people bought. Mm -hmm. I know what they were looking for and I know what they were trying to achieve with how they felt. And so I definitely have that advantage. So what it makes us a very customer centric brand. We really focus all of our attention on how do we make sure the customer is getting the products they need? It's not about what I want or my vision. I mean, a lot of it is, but my vision is about making them feel good about themselves. Right. And so I think that's one thing that I have a lot of, I have a huge advantage over everyone else. I think my biggest piece of advice in life is to look at your life in terms of, and since this is an, you know, a university, we can talk about it like this. Look at your life in terms of case studies. So just imagine that you're living in a case study for a certain period of time. And that's what you're trying to build. You're trying to either prove or disprove something, right? So even if you look at your own failure and success, it's not, it's not failure and success. It's I'm trying to prove this concept or not prove this concept. Right. And sometimes right. not proving it becomes failure, right? But in order for me to... That's how my brain processes it. So my brain isn't, what if we implement fund it and it doesn't work? My brain works in the case of like, I have to prove that it's going to work or not work. Because I can't just sit here and wonder if it's going to work. And even if that means we lose money, well, we haven't. But even it, it really is about learning lessons. Everything you do is about um, the building blocks of where you're going to get later on in life. So I've done so many things where I've never ever used the word failure where I'm like, well, I really hated that. I, I don't know why I spent two years of my time owning a modeling agency because I really hated it. Yeah. I've, you know, I've learned I hate photo shoots. I've learned I hate and all of these things that you learn about yourself that can be hard to accept sometimes. But then what it does is it builds this foundation of, of, conviction in yourself when I use that word a lot but my biggest advice would be try anything it doesn't matter if you borrowed ten thousand dollars from your parents to start a startup and build yourself a Shopify brand and it failed and didn't make any money that'll be the best money you've ever spent because you will have learned a shitload I don't know if I can say that (laughs) (laughs) you'll learn so much about how you ran that business but also how did you like that and how you didn't like it. 
So there can be a lot of time and money wasted, but it's not wasted because anytime you have the opportunity to try something, you just have to go for it. Like you can't just not do it because you're scared or you're worried what your friends are going to think. Who cares? Go for it and try it. And, and you might, you might prove your theory or the world might crush you. And then you just Mm -hmm. go and you just pick up the pieces and you start another case study. And that's how I've lived my whole life in terms of like, we're in this project right now and we're going to make the best of it and we're going to put everything we have into it. And if it doesn't work, whatever. Right. Right, For sure. Yeah. I really like that point about um, like thinking, thinking of it as a case study and then not necessarily thinking it, uh, thinking of things as being failures or or personal failures or successes, because otherwise it can be I think that's kind of one of the problems that people face is that they take it personally and then it makes it really hard to kind of get up again and, and try something new. So I, I think I, and you're totally right. It does. Um, but I think if you look at it from a different angle, yeah. If you look at it from really the idea of that your life is supposed to be made up of those moments and you're supposed to be trying things and, you know, even trying something, you're 99% ahead of everybody else. Right. Just try it and yeah. uh, don't worry so much about, uh, I never worry about what people think. I just have so many ideas that I want to implement and uh, my my life is about learning how to do it and just doing it. Yeah. 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 No, that's, that's awesome. And also very, um, yeah, I think a really inspiring way to think. Um, so my next question for you, this is kind of switching gears to a, a little bit of a different topic, but I wanted to ask you what it's like to run a, a company in Edmonton, because I know that that's like a lot of people have the idea that they need to be in a fashion capital in order to succeed in fashion. And so I'd love to hear kind of your thoughts on that. You know, it's a really, it's a really good question because I didn't have to live here. <laughs> I had many opportunities to not live in Edmonton. And, you know, when you look at, I mean, I had opportunities to live in New York and London, but what I learned very early on traveling to Toronto as a young executive was that I really don't like big cities. I'm kind of a hippie. Um, (laughs) I don't know if you can tell from there. I'm kind of a hippie. Like I just want to like be in a field of vegetables and and you know listen to the birds chirp and so I don't do well in kind of big cities where it's really Mm -hmm. densely populated and um you know lots of concrete uh and so Edmonton's kind of a good balance of both you've got kind of uh great access to lakes and things like that and I know this is kind of a rant about but I promise it's important (laughs) (laughs) and so Edmonton, I always came back here. It's easy to travel everywhere. Um, And I would say in Canada, we're about as close to any Vancouver, Toronto head office that you can get. The difference is, is that we have parking, we have a gym, we have all sorts of stuff that makes us really fun to work for. And sometimes we just like, we don't have long commutes. I mean, it's within eight minutes, pretty much all of us. And uh, the cost of living here is so good, mm-hmm. but also being an e-commerce brand and being in, in Edmonton has proven to be one of the best decisions because we everything we have comes in by air. 
So it comes in on airplanes and uh, we're super close to the airport. We're only like 11 minutes from the airport. And if we ever have to clear customs or pick up a shipment, we're super close. And nobody else really has e-commerce uh, coming into Edmonton at the scale that we do. And so we have a direct relationship with customs. We have a relationship with DHL and with the airport. And sometimes being in an environment that's a little bit smaller, you have kind of, you're a big fish in a little sea, a little yeah. body, you know? And mm -hmm. everybody knows who you are and everybody wants you to succeed. So you kind of get special treatment a little bit in a smaller <laughs> city. Versus if we were in Toronto, nobody would really know who we are. And no one's, there's no, there's no expectation. And, and I love relationships. And so knowing when I go to DHL and knowing those people, and when I go to customs, knowing that, you know, they're, some of them are our customers. And I just love that relationship. And I really value um, what Edmonton gives us in terms of relationships. But it definitely has its downfalls. Don't get me wrong. In terms of, let's just say, um, the talent pool, if we're hiring as a fashion brand, needing the talent, uh, like basically needing the type of talent that big cities are producing. Uh, like right. let's just say Vancouver has numerous head offices in retail, same with Toronto. Mm -hmm. And so there might be more of a pool for us to pull from, but here in Edmonton, there's literally barely anything to pull from, especially mm -hmm. people who want to work in this industry. Uh, the biggest challenge I find is that when you think you're getting into fashion, it's not fashion. Like fashion takes up a small fraction of what you do every day. It's mostly economics, statistics, math, analytics. Like it really is. There's a ton of math involved in being in a business of this size. So right. not, and I love math. So that's why I love the business. I love nothing more than spending nine hours on my computer analyzing inventory. So mm -hmm. that was a really, you know, that's a really important asset to have in this business. Right. Yeah, I mean, that final product that you're selling is like the fashion element of it, but everything else is like yeah. marketing and analytics, like you said, yeah. and, and math and, you awesome. know, everything else, everything aside from fashion, but it yeah. is still, yeah, like, um, which is kind of nice in a way too, for, for people who are like multi-passionate, because then you get to kind of dip your toes into so many different things too. So I was wondering, actually, so this is one of my final questions, but what advice would you give your younger self when you were maybe first, first starting out? I know you talked a little bit about what your journey was when you were 16 and you were, and you were first um, starting out with like the advice of your dad, but is there anything in particular? Actually, yeah. So I just kind of discovered this last week, I guess. So the way that my brain works, I'm an extremely analytical person. I'm very self-reflective mm -hmm. and I have been since I was um, quite young. And so I kind of grew up with this brain that would constantly explain to me, like, you like this, you don't like this, don't do more of this, <laughs> do more of this. And it was a natural, uh, it was natural for my brain. It's just how it functions. And so I just, I just thought everybody else functioned like that. I just thought everybody else thought the same way as me and I was certainly wrong. So it's not necessarily advice that I would give myself because I'm incredibly happy with my whole career and how it progressed. And I'm grateful for all the confusion and all the times I had to do things I didn't want to do. I'm incredibly grateful for that. 
But what I try to do here with our team is like reverse engineering of who they are. So um, because I wish, I wish that I knew that other people didn't think like that. So I could encourage people to think like that because right. you spend so much of your young, precious years in your mid 20, early to mid 20s thinking way too much about your outside influences and not really building your career based on the foundation of who you are and the gifts you were given as a human. Mm -hmm. So what we do here is a lot of, uh, we call it the know, like know thyself. And basically we do a lot of work around figuring out exactly the the foundation of how you were built as a person and then building on that. Because I guarantee you, you might go do a marketing degree and then find yourself in operations because that's exactly what happened here. So I hired somebody to be in the marketing department and she ended up hating it and fell in love, in love with operations. And now she's like, oh, I can't wait till I can order inventory. Like says, said who? Like says no <laughs> other marketing person, right? Like she loves barcoding. Like who loves barcoding? I don't know. So there's somebody for everything, but she spent four years in a marketing degree. And don't you think that that would have been a lot more valuable to just like know pretty much right out of high school, oh, I really love systems, operations, organization. And you probably would have spent the next four years building out that skill set, right? Mm-hmm. When it comes to spreadsheets, economics, like systems, processes, and you don't learn all that stuff if you're in a marketing degree necessarily. Right. So my biggest advice would be is not, it's not advice to myself because I was naturally um, raised that way or born that way, but mm-hmm. really spend so much of your time figuring out what you like and don't like, and then accepting it, accept it as a fact. Like you might, go, you might, sorry, it's my alarm. Oh, it's okay. <laughs> it's my food alarm <laughs> I have to have alarms to remind me to eat every oh time. okay that's smart yeah it's <laughs> important otherwise I won't eat all day yeah um so it's just it's so so critical and I can't I can't explain it enough and you know I've talked about even writing a book about it because it's just nobody trains you to be like that but then when I look back I've had the most incredible career and life like I don't have any regrets I don't have any failures that I you know that I was like oh I shouldn't have spent my time doing that I've had no wasted time Mm -hmm. and I want everybody to feel that way and I think the more we reverse engineer and figure out who we are at a young age and have conviction about that the more you find your passion and I don't think passion is the right word I think Passion is actually a completely bad word because it's not really finding what you're passionate about. It's just finding what your soul is like meant to do in terms of how you disperse and gather energy. Really, that's the hippie side of me. But (laughs) it really is like an energetic thing. And Mm -hmm. once you figure it out, it's like, you know, I'm always happy. I'm always grateful. Like I've, I've really lived a blessed life for sure. And so just know thyself, like spend all your time thinking about what you like and what you don't like and stop trying to push yourself in a narrative that doesn't make sense. Right. That is so, um, yeah, I definitely really resonate with that. And I think that, um, 
Yeah, that's probably something I wish somebody had told me when I was in, even in high school, because I think so much of the time we think we have to be, yeah, we have to kind of like change our skill set or change our, who we naturally are to kind of fit a certain job or fit a certain role. And like, like you said, it's about energy management. So if you're doing that, you're going to end up burning out. Mm -hmm. So you really have to kind of optimize for what you're actually, what you're naturally good at. Um, yeah, so that, yeah, awesome advice. And so I am going to wrap it up there. So thank you so much for sharing all of your awesome advice and insights. I really appreciate you taking the time and yeah, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me.